Welcome to our Ground Double Zero episode of our new podcast series, The First 16. I'm your co-host, Kirk Finken. And I am your other co-host, Sarah Poivin-Chabot. We work with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. We are your soon-to-be favorite federal public servants. And in this series, we're exploring hot topics and fresh ideas in our sector. From dirt to dinner. From farm gate to your plate. From steaks to stakeholders. From beakers to bureaucrats. From bean growers to bean counters. Okay, I think we get it. It's a big sector with a lot of people. Today, we're talking about innovation diffusion, and I love this. And we have a great interview with a sixth generation farmer. She's also a public servant like us, who will share with you the dynamics of innovation on her family farm. But before we jump in, are we going to answer that burning question everyone asks us? The mystery. Yeah, everybody wants us to explain the first 16. You know what? Actually, I don't want to explain it right now. I want to actually jump right into the subject because the subject in itself kind of explains it. We'll tell you later. You think so? Yeah. Later. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, let's get into this episode. You're going to hear about innovation diffusion or knowledge transfer in action. It's how technologies and ideas spread, how those smart and creative farmers continue to change our world. Arguably, farming was the original innovation. It started happening about 15,000 years ago in different places around the world. People came up with the brilliant idea to plant seeds and tend to them. They also domesticated animals and tended to those. And others around them saw what was happening and did the same. Went from tending to trending. Well, the word we use in French for trend is tendance. It sounds like tending, but it means trending. So you're saying that innovation diffusion started a long time ago. <laughs> exactly, yeah. A long time ago, a long series of trends. Folks grew the seeds, plants grew, grains, fruit, veggies, and bada-bing, less calories expended for more calories gained. You get abundance and efficiency. That's innovation, baby. And they had more food, more energy, more time. And that gave them more time for mathematics, storytelling, art, music, and dance. I see how this evolved. Dance parties. And you know what happened at dance parties, right? Yeah, dancing. <laughs> I don't know. Fun stuff. And people get to talk, right? They're talking. They share ideas and like... And they tell two friends and then those tell two other friends. Et voilà. Exactly. Innovation diffusion. That's it. Everyone got into this fantastic new thing called farming because they went to the dance party and shared their ideas. And a drink or two. You know alcohol because that's also an agri-food innovation well, yeah but not too much because they had to wake up early the next day to get behind the ox and the plow and work the fields yeah and the domesticated animals we got symbiosis we got animal poop and increased yields and we got more music and more dance parts uh-huh that's right the poop got spread on the fields more yields and the ideas spread as well and that's how it all started so what about today? Well, same cow poop, but different era, okay? So roughly 15,000 years of innovation diffusion later, and today we're speaking with the modern descendant of those original farmers. Yeah, but she's very different. Yes and no. Okay, it's like she wears nicer clothes. She has a bigger farm. 
her technology is a whole lot more sophisticated. But you know what? I, I, I want to imagine that the passion that she has for farming is the same as those original sowers of grain and herders of livestock. Yeah, farmers are passionate people. Hi, I'm Julie Dawson, and you're listening to The First 16. Julie Dawson is a beef sector specialist here at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. And beyond that, she and her husband, Andrew, own and operate River Run Farms, which is located just outside of Ottawa. Their farm has been in her family for six generations. And the insights that she has on farming and innovation at the farm, regional, national and international level, it's, let's just say she is a gem of a public servant. My grandparents were really in a different phase of agriculture than my husband and I are. They were all about survival. They were about providing food for their family, trying to clear land. Subsistence farming is really what it was. And now we've transitioned to a business of farming. And so it's really about driving a profit, driving efficiency. Um, and part of that is how can we use innovation to drive that efficiency? So I think that's where the biggest transition was from my grandparents to where we are now. My parents were very much employed off the farm and really, again, just trying to keep the farm going. Um, and we've transitioned to my husband being on the farm full time. So the, he's really invested in the farm operation and that being things like attending courses. So today he's attending a crop conference. So that's really to enhance his knowledge of things that we can do to increase yields, reduce some of our compaction, things like that on the farm. Let's break that down because just in that short moment there, Julie illustrated for us that innovation diffusion in farming happens in four ways. Between generations, between economic models, with influencers from the outside, and lastly, with the actual techniques and tools themselves. It's socioeconomics, biology, psychology, science, engineering, anthropology, business, social history, all in one. And it's all happening around the hub of farming and food. My grandfather was of the generation where he was using horses and horse-drawn equipment. The first tractor came onto the farm. He was driving the tractor and when he approached a fence line in that particular instance normally horses would turn and he approached the fence line on the tractor and was yelling whoa whoa and and had a bit of a, a crash uh, because of that so that's that transition that we you know we think is a is a something easy but really it's a it's over generations um, and certainly we see innovation and probably more so in our generation things are moving so rapidly with respect to technology um, we're adapting our farm business to technologies that are out there. So that's a very different way of thinking. For example, we will very likely see autonomous tractors in in my lifetime. Currently, they're available in large-scale operations, but we will very likely see that. It's a mind shift into how to look at technologies, how can it benefit you, as opposed to being afraid of, of what it might be. Currently on our operation, we're managing things in larger sections of land, but we're managing them at a very micro level. So we're looking at things from using uh, satellites, using uh, imagery that's right back into the, the farm vehicle or the tractor itself to help us grow better crops and increase yields. So it's, it's having that big view, but also having a very, very small management size view as well. 
We see innovation in everything that we do from things like using social media to tell others what, what we might be doing or to look at what others are doing. You know, we don't read the newspaper very much anymore, which is something that my father and grandfather did do. Um, so we're getting information in very different ways and very rapid sources. What about at the community level, Julie? You know, that's still the fabric of rural Canada. You know, when farmers meet up and they exchange information at auction or at the feed and seed store. Communities and rural communities to this day are still very much built on neighbors and, and talking and communication in personal ways. And while we rely on that to a small extent, we also are very much reliant on people that we don't know, people that are not in our immediate community, people that might be on the other side of the country, might be in another country. And so we're communicating with them to understand what worked for their operation. So I think our, our map just became that much larger of our community. And that's the main difference from, from my, say, grandparents' time. And what was the cycle of innovation for your grandparents? Was it every decade? And how does that compare to the cycle of innovation that you and Andrew experience? I think a change for them might have been something like using um, a tractor or mechanized equipment. For them, that might have been the only change that they saw in their farming career, whereas ourselves, we may see changes every year or two. Every growing season, we're trying something new. Um, and so those all build up to having a very complex uh, farming operation. So is that exciting or is that scary? It's both. Yeah, it is exciting because I think the world offers a very great array of technology. And I think we're just on the very cusp of it in agriculture. I think there's there's huge opportunity there uh, providing for that. Um, but it's also risky because sometimes it might be technology that's used in another um, sector or another avenue. And so in it might be newly applied in agriculture. However, it's almost endless possibilities. And how do you evaluate new innovations? Who and what are some of the influencers in that different world that you're talking about? Good question. Uh, and certainly, I think it's evaluating um, with a recognition that it may not be exactly the same in Canada. If we're looking at another country, for example, I know there's a lot of large farms in the southern United States, for example. And so through social media, again, it's almost an awareness um, of what's going on and, a, and maybe a, a twigging of something in your mind that might be interesting to think about, to try, and then you keep your options open so that if that technology or something comes to Canada, you think, oh yes, okay, I, I'm aware of that. I heard of that. And so I think it's about val evaluating it very carefully. Hopefully, a cautious optimism, I think, is how I would term it. Can you maybe give me a couple of examples of new things that have come into your practice on the farm in like the last couple of years? Yeah. So one of them is when we spread fertilizer. And um, what we used to do is we would simply analyze what was required in that field and then spread the fertilizer across the whole field. Now we use what's called zone mapping. So we have specific zones in the field where it might be really low in potassium, for example. So we will simply um, put that into our mapping system. And so when the machine that's spreading the fertilizer, when it hits that area, it will specifically apply to that particular area, maybe not the rest of the field. So that's really about a management system. And again, it comes back to efficiency, but it also comes back to sustainability, being environmentally conscious, and those things are all tied together. So certainly zone mapping is one. 
Um, another one that's new for us is using drones. So we are using drones now to crop scout. So looking at our field conditions from that level, we're also able to look for wildlife damage. Um, and we're also going to use it this summer for checking our beef cattle herd. And again, that's really just a hands-off way of verifying that things are under control in a situation that we would expect it to be. I think that's something that we're really excited about. So Sarah, what she said next was really cool angle that I did not expect. And it makes total sense. What was it? Well, she came back to the generational shift. So what the technology has allowed us to do is it really has added our children into our farm environment. And so by doing that, because they have grown up with um, devices and, and different things like that, they are not afraid at all of different technologies, mapping systems, those kind of things. Maybe my husband and I didn't grow up with. And so for us, it's been a learning curve. But for them, it's really just something that comes very innately to them. And so my son, for example, it's his drone. And so he will use that for flying and making observations on our crops and our, and our cattle. That's really allowed them to be a very integral part of our operation um, on a level that's very different. And so for them, it's just second nature. Very cool stuff. But I also read recently a study from our research and analysis division that the top area where producers are being most innovative is in safety. Really? That's odd, isn't it? Like, I mean, safety should be pretty straightforward. <laughs> you know, you put on, yeah, you put on steel toe boots and you're okay, right? And no, I think that there's a lot, whole lot more to it. I told Julie about that study and here's what her response was. You're exactly right. Equipment now is is very, very large, very technical and, and, and very powerful. And so I think certainly I can speak from our business model. We've actually incorporated safety um, into our business planning. And so like any business, it really needs to look out for its employees and be on the side of caution. Wow, this is a great portrait of all those layers of innovation on a farm operation. But Julie has that other hat she wears, right? She's a federal public servant, a beef sector specialist. Yeah, totally. And she shared some of her insights about innovation on that level too. The beef sector is very different than the crop sector. And, and the beef industry is, and the beef sector is very much based on tradition. It's a very traditional way of raising animals. It's very much focused on the land, the, the nature aspect, the environmental aspect of beef production. And so we see a lot less um, innovation on that side. Not to say that there aren't opportunities, but I think it's a lot easier to retrofit or modify a piece of machinery as opposed to the livestock themselves. As a beef sector specialist, I think I see innovation as um, borrowing technologies from other sectors for the livestock industry. Um, so for example, as I mentioned, drones are using that for um, assessing animal welfare and animal health out on rangelands. We also have something, um, each of the animals in Canada is required to have a radio identification tag. So I think there's an opportunity there to use that technology, whether it be from satellite images, um, again, from monitoring animal health. We're just barely dipping our toe into the pond of opportunities for innovation, uh, albeit recognizing that it's not as far advanced as it is on the crop side of things. The genomic side of things has real potential. I think we're just at a little bit of a boundary between um, a very technical 
uh, aspect of agriculture and then relating that to producers. So it's really about that communication or that extension of how that can benefit an operation or a farm business um, and relaying that message to producers. But yeah, absolutely, we have um, increased the genetic potential of the Canadian beef herd through genomics. I totally loved talking with Julie. And at the end of it, I asked, like, you know, when she sits on her back porch looking out over their beautiful farm, does she think about innovation? I can't say we spend a lot of time sitting on our back porch, but but if we imagine that we did that, um, then we certainly, we reflect absolutely on, on um, the innovation that we've included in our business. And I think, uh, as I expressed, the excitement that it allows us to think about what the future might hold. We have to remember we're growing food for others, and the average producer feeds up to 200 consumers. And so that's a that's a mind shift to think about how can we be efficient, how can we be sustainable by using the latest technologies and not being afraid to use those. And I think there are, if I talk about my government role as a beef sector specialist, there are a number of programs under the Canadian Agricultural Partnership that allow producers to provide um, some of that risk and moderate some of that risks by providing some funding for projects, certainly on the innovation side. What's the most exciting innovation that you've seen in farming in recent years? Yeah, there's more than one. So if we talk about autonomous tractors, so the as we talk about labor and the inability to either find labor or have labor that is willing to work, the amount of hours that are required, for example, in spring planting when a day might be 18 hours in length. DOT is the name of the autonomous vehicle that is now responsible for planting um, and seeding acres. Again, that's completely um, done remotely. We're talking about targeting of weeds. So for example, instead of doing broadcast of sprays or herbicides, we now might be able to pinpoint weeds exactly um, and just be able to eliminate that particular species. So that's exciting. Just so many opportunities. And when your husband, Andrew, goes to attend these conferences, he's obviously immersed in the sharing of ideas and innovations. What does he bring back? He brings back ideas. He brings back all of the excitement and the things that are possible, albeit some of them are not feasible at this particular time. Some of them are large scale or research oriented, but really the opportunity that exists uh, and the want or the desire to not be afraid to take that risk. Yeah, this is a really exciting sector to be working in. I mean, and, and Sarah and I, we get to, you know, observe and tell these stories as well. Uh, every day is just this really lovely surprise. Yeah, and I think sometimes the public is very much invested in that interest of a little red barn with a couple of cows and some fields in the background. And I think we have to make the shift to consumers that farming is a business. It's a very efficient business. And there's a lot of opportunities to incorporate mechanization. I think that's the shift that we need to, to show to consumers because it really is a very different farm than it was even 30 years ago. It's your grandfather's farm, I get it. But it's not his farm anymore, right? Absolutely. It looks like his farm until you open up the barn door or until you look inside and you understand the amount of um, computers and technology that exist inside a piece of equipment. It's a very different farm. So, Julie... I hear there's this new innovation coming out and they're going to be expanding the length of a day from 24 to 26 hours. Are you down with that? 
as much as the farm is a very busy place, it's kind of a never-ending field of work, but we really enjoy it, and we wouldn't do it if we didn't. Oh, she just totally avoided my question there. I guess it was a little weird. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Kirk, let's get back to answering the question about the first 16. So here it is. It comes from this guy named Everett Rogers. He was an American sociologist in the 20th century who studied how innovation spread from farm to farm. He used this data to divide farmers into five distinct categories of people. Innovators, first adopters, early majority, late majority, and laggards. If you add up the first two categories, the innovators and the first adopters. Together, they add up to 16%, right? So that's the first 16. This series is about those folks there. And we can really see that people like Julie Dawson are the first 16. They're the people at the breakthrough of innovation and farming, and they're the one experimenting and going everywhere and picking up information and modifying it and applying it to their own farms. So that's who we will be talking to in the next episodes. Yeah, yeah, that and kind of agents of change within. And and we're not only talking about people who are, you know, farming like Julie, but we're talking about scientists we're talking about policy people uh we're talking we're going to be talking to some really cool folks and people that are changing the way we do agriculture here in canada and beyond like we're talking about canadians but those innovations are not limited to our borders yeah totally so be sure to subscribe and until next time you know what to do try something new try something new This podcast is brought to you by Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada.